because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm Alex Epstein. On today's show, we are talking about the new movie, Planet of the Humans. This movie has been somewhat of a sensation, in part because it's backed by the famous or infamous filmmaker Michael Moore. And I've gotten a lot of questions about it uh, from all sides, and I'm going to divide my response into two episodes. So th this episode, I'm going to focus on the five things Planet of the Humans gets right, or really gets mostly right. And then next week, I'm going to focus on the five things Planet of the Humans gets totally wrong. So let's jump in. First, I want to just give you a summary of Planet of the Humans, in case you haven't seen it, or even if you have seen it, I think this will be helpful in just thinking about what the basic argument is. So the overall theme of the movie is green energy cannot save the planet. And point number one that comes across is the fossil fuels that power our industrial civilization are destroying the planet. This is pretty commonplace argument, and it's not even really made in the film, which is one thing I'll talk about next week. It's pretty much assumed, but that's that's one of the basic premises that the uh, film is starting from. And then the next point that it stresses is that green energy or the green energy movement claims to be able to preserve our industrial civilization without fossil fuels negative impacts. Point three, and this is really the substance of the movie, is that Green energy is hugely dependent on fossil fuels and has many undesirable environmental impacts of its own. Then uh, point four is green energy advocates are driven by a combination of money, power, and ignorance. And then point five is that the only way to avoid destroying our planet is to dramatically lessen our impact on the planet, above all through population reduction. So I want to focus today on what this movie gets right, although I should say from the outset, I completely disagree with the action implications of the movie, with the philosophy of the movie, and I'll get into a little bit of that this week, but uh, I'm going to get into that a lot next week. Nevertheless, it's worth pointing out what this movie does right, in part because Many people are seeing it, and I think there's some va real value that can be extracted from it. And it's good when you're talking to people to differentiate between what's good in the movie that people are reacting to versus what's really bad that we want to counter. So I'd say there are five things overall that the um, you know the movie gets right, and and to give you an indication of where they fall, I'm just going to look through again at the overall progression of the movie. So those five points I just mentioned, and focus on where I think uh, they're right. And so, point two: green energy claims to be able to preserve our industrial civilization without fossil fuels negative impacts. That's definitely true, and it's important that this claim is being made. Then point three, green energy is hugely dependent on fossil fuels and has many undesirable environmental impacts of its own. That's also true and very important. In terms of the motivation point, point four, green energy advocates are driven by a combination of money, power, and ignorance. I think ignorance is the most important, and there are other motives as well that are important, but among the ones revealed in the movie. Ignorance, I think, is the most important and most uh, interesting that I'll talk about. 
And then I disagree with one and five. So fossil fuels that power civilization are destroying the planet. And then the only way to avoid destroying our planet is to dramatically lessen our impact on the planet above all through population reduction. Totally disagree with those. And I'll be talking more about those next week and a little bit at the end of this episode. But I want to jump into then what are the five specific things Planet of the Humans gets mostly right about green energy. And I want to say this uh, in part countering some of what green energy activists have said to try to dismiss the movie. So in this slide, I have an image of Josh Fox, who's the filmmaker who made the movie Gasland and Gasland 2, so prominent anti-fracking. There's Mark Jacobson out of Stanford University, who's become famous for claiming that he has a plan that can replace all fossil fuels with primarily wind and solar. And then there's Michael Mann, who's famous as the, I would call, inventor or fabricator of the hockey stick, which basically purported to show that there was no significant rise in temperatures uh, for the past couple thousand years and that all of the rise has been dramatic and in the last uh, century. So there's a lot of controversies around that. And you can see previous power hours, particularly the one with Ross McKittrick, if you are interested in that issue. But I'm bringing these guys um, up right now because they were some of the three most uh, prominent co-authors of a letter saying basically that this movie is worthless, asking for it to be retracted, uh, claiming that the distributor took it down, uh, which is not at all true. They, there's something called Films for Action, which I guess they feature movies on their site and they happen to feature this movie, but they weren't the primary distributor. The distributor was something called Rumble Media. So there was all this attention to, oh, Films for Action took this down. And as far as I can tell, Michael Moore and Jeff Gibbs, who's the main producer of the movie or the director of the movie, like had nothing to do with these guys. So, but in any case, the green energy movement has come out in full force against this. And I want to focus in particular on a letter that these three were some of the most uh, prominent co-authors on and was considered a kind of definitive uh, refutation, which I don't think it was at all. So I'm going to incorporate some of what they said as we go into it. So let's jump into what are the uh, what are the five things that the movie gets right, or at least mostly right. So point one is that green energy is a high impact industrial process. And I want to show you a clip or two from the movie that's that's illustrating this particular point. Well, I hear a lot of the times that solar cells are made out of sand. Have you ever thought about solar panels? The main ingredient that makes them work is silicon or sand. This is the raw material chips are made of, sand. They don't use sand at all. So they use, I'll show you what they... Uh, so this is, this is one of the, the ingredients. It's actually mined quartz. Spruce Pine, North Carolina, regarded as the finest source of high-purity quartz in the world for semiconductor, solar, and communication applications. You can't use sand because sand has too many impurities. So you start with a very high-quality quartz and a very high-quality coal. And then you put those two together into uh, an arc furnace and you melt them. The quartz is then melted with coal in a large furnace at temperatures of up to 1,800 degrees. So you need more coal to do that. So this, I get another coal out. So that's when we melt these together, 
we get silicon metal and carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide just goes off and you get rid of the carbon, you're left with silicon metal. So that video focuses on making solar panels as a high impact industrial process. There's also another video that specifically focuses on electric cars or battery cars. Electric cars, wind turbines, and solar panels use rare earth metals. And in fact, the rare earth mine is right up the street from here. <laughs> in mining these deep deposits, about 90% of what they pull up out of the ground contains uranium, thorium, and low level of other radionuclides. Radioactive waste that has to be disposed of somehow. They kind of turn it into a paste and spread it over the desert floor. So there are clips throughout the movie and what they're saying is that, hey, you think of green energy as this thing that avoids uh, industrial processes and having a big impact on the planet. And in fact, they do. And I think this is an important point because green energy often gets this halo of having no impact. There's a ton of ignorance about it. And part of what this movie does is it shows uh, some of the true nature of how these technologies actually uh, work. Now, what was the response from the thought leaders in their letter? Well, it was crickets. So they didn't say anything about it. And we'll see that in most cases, this is going to be the response. Now, the truth of the matter is that green energy does involve high impact industrial processes, but high impact industrial processes are a good thing. That is, we need those kinds of processes to transform the earth into a much more livable place than it naturally is. And I'll be talking about that more next week. The earth isn't naturally a very livable place for human beings. And so we need to transform it a lot. And that includes mining, manufacturing, transportation. And so those are generally good things. We want to minimize the side effects of them. But in any case, we need to recognize when we're comparing different forms of energy that all forms of energy are processes that involve a lot of impact on uh, nature. And so then this brings us to the next point, which is related, but not the same point, which is that green energy has many undesirable environmental impacts. So not all impacts on the planet are undesirable, but with any given technology, there are some that are undesirable that we want to minimize. And at least with every technology we have now, you're going to have uh, some of them. Interestingly, nuclear, which I'll talk about later, probably has the least, and the movie has nothing to say about that nor do the critics have anything to say about that because they are also anti-nuclear, which is fascinating because nuclear, I believe, is by far the most globally scalable form of low carbon or, or near zero carbon uh, energy. But let's look at some clips from, uh, from the movie. So you see in that in that first video, just by showing the first uh, 40 seconds of it, it's showing the point one that it's a highly industrial process, but a high impact industrial process. But you're also seeing that there are certain undesirable things, particularly the way it's practiced right now. And you might have particularly noticed some young children 
uh, in Africa and probably in this case in the Congo area who are, you know, they're scrounging around for cobalt, which can be uh, very, very dangerous. And so that's, you know, that's involved in some of these renewable technologies. And so I think this is a really important kind of thing for people to see that, hey, this is what's going on with different kinds of technologies, including there are specific things going on with green energy that are worse than other forms of energy, including fossil fuels. And that's important for people to know. So here are a couple of other videos. In the desert, the Joshua tree stands, waiting, waiting for the giant ground sloths and the mammoths that shall never return. The Joshua tree depended on the giant mammals to reach up high and eat their seeds, and thus disperse the Joshua tree. But now, stranded in time and space, the Joshua tree awaits a new fate, to be sacrificed in the name of progress. Joshua trees are torn down to make way for solar projects. 23ABC's Cassie Carlisle travels to the Mojave Desert to talk to neighbors. They're not your usual tree. More like something from fiction, but these Joshuas are causing quite an uproar. No, it makes me sick. I'm just clearing them off, killing them real quick, and now they're grinding them up, getting rid of all the evidence. So in this video, you see a different aspect of the environmental impacts of green energy, which is that even when they're talking about something like, oh, a desert and it doesn't, you know, you think, oh, the desert's totally empty. There's often a lot of beautiful wildlife that they impact. And one, one thing that's notable about that impact is because green energy, namely solar and wind, they deal with very dilute forms of energy. So sunlight is not a very concentrated form of energy. Wind is not a very concentrated form of energy. Certainly nothing compared to oil, let alone the uranium or thorium in nuclear energy. Uh, because of that, they end up taking up much, much more space. And so when you, the more you're using dilute forms of energy, the more you're going to impact different kinds of wildlife, including you'll impact some of the most beautiful things. There's, you know, there's different degrees of beauty and different degrees of value to us of different parts of nature. And the more dilute your energy source, the more you're going to end up uh, impacting those. And so that's a valid point. It's an important point. And it's something that's not often not acknowledged by green energy advocates. So what do the green thought leaders have to say about uh, this one? Again, Cricket. So they they didn't say anything about this one. Now, the third point I want to make, the, the third truth or mostly truth in this movie is definitely something that the green energy thought leaders had something to say about. But first, let me explain what the movie says. And so this one is that green energy is hugely dependent on fossil fuels. So there are a couple of clips in the movie or there are several clips in the movie. I'll show you uh, a couple of them making this point saying that, hey, you think of green energy as this replacement for fossil fuels. They're actually hugely dependent on fossil fuels. Is it a plug? <laughs> it's as simple as that. The batteries are in the trunk? No, the battery in this particular design is a T-shape right down the center and across the back seat area. Because everybody thought we killed the electric vehicle. No, we didn't. It's alive and well. 
So what's charging the, the batteries right now? What where, where's what's the source of a? Well, here it's, it's coming from the building. I mean, are, is it? Um, what's our mix of power? Oh, actually, Lansing feeds the building. What's that? Lansing feeds power to the building. So I don't, I don't know. They're. Uh, I bet you they're a bit of coal. Oh, they're heavy on natural gas, aren't they? Uh, right now, the car is charging off of your grid. Right. It would be charging off uh, our grid, which is nine about ninety-five percent coal. So in that clip, you have the idea that okay, it's an electric car, but where's the electricity coming from? It's largely coming from uh, fossil fuels. Now, if you notice, one thing about that clip is it's a clip about a Chevy Volt, which must have come out, I mean, well over five years ago. I think it's now been canceled or close to canceled. So one thing to note is that a lot of this footage in the movie is old, and that's some of the criticism that it's getting from the green energy advocates who are saying, hey, you're you're criticizing the industry of 10 years ago, and it's totally different now. So I think there is some validity to this criticism of the movie, but I think it's it fundamentally falls flat because, as I'll, as I'll discuss, the basic dependency exists, even though it, it's not in the exact same form as it was 10 years ago. That is, that grid may well use more natural gas than coal, though natural gas is still a fossil fuel. But overall, the the world is still overwhelmingly powered by fossil fuels, and it's powered by fossil fuels for definite reasons. Uh, let's look at another clip. This one is about the role of fossil fuels in hydrogen vehicles. This is like a perpetual energy battery. And where do you get the hydrogen from? The hydrogen, that's the, the that's in, hydrogen is sourced from any hydrocarbon material. So uh, you can get it from natural gas, you can get it from any petroleum or oil-based product. So this is important when people say, oh, well, we're powering it via hydrogen. There's a question of where does the hydrogen come from? And this makes the point that hydrogen often comes from hydrocarbons, which is another term for fossil fuels, because they're combinations of hydrogen and carbon. So again, this is another, this is a valid point that's important for people to know that's very rarely, if ever, acknowledged by the green energy movement. Now, I'll show one more clip on this point, and then I'll get to the green leader's response. It's a combination solar gas plant. It's a turbine that we just take from a gas plant, suspend it from a big scaffolding, a tower, and surround it by giant mirrors in the desert. The plants that we're building, the wind plants and the solar plants, are gas plants. So if you saw my most recent debate, you might recognize this guy. This is, you might recognize him from other places. This is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a prominent environmental lawyer and environmental activist. And here what he's talking about is he's talking about a particular type of uh, solar array that is like called solar thermal. And he's talking about, he's, he's actually speaking at a conference of people involved in natural gas and he's acknowledging to them, hey, this thing that I'm building, in a sense, this is actually a gas plant because it's totally dependent on natural gas. Now, when he's debating me and when he's speaking publicly, he often won't acknowledge this. And this is a valid point the movie makes that often behind the scenes, people acknowledge the dependency or even the parasitism of green energy on fossil fuels, but then when they talk publicly, they don't uh, acknowledge it. So what is the response of the green leaders on this? Well, on this one, they are really emphatic that this is no longer true. If it was ever true, it's no longer true. And I want to note that there's a refrain as I read these responses that's going to be really interesting. They keep saying that 
peer-reviewed science proves renewables are cheaper than fossil fuels. It's a really interesting kind of claim. Peer-reviewed science proves renewables are cheaper than fossil fuels. You often, you don't hear that with other things. You don't hear, let's say like, oh, peer-reviewed science proves that a phone now is cheaper than a phone 20 years ago. There's a different, you usually just have objective evidence of it. And so I think this is a really interesting claim. We'll see why they focus on this. So part of the letter from thought leaders is the notion that wind and solar and other renewable technologies don't work to produce energy in ways that are cheaper, more efficient, and lower zero carbon emissions over their lifespan flies in the face of everything engineers, scientists, and energy planners have been writing in peer-reviewed science for decades. More. The film totally ignores the last 10 years of peer-reviewed renewable energy planning and policy. Absent from this anti-renewable energy screed are important policy and science innovations, such as the 100% renewable energy plans for each state, over 150 countries in the world from Stanford University. Sorry, that's all part of one point. So it's it's the 100% renewable energy plans for each state, over 150 countries in the world from Stanford University. The reason I misread that, by the way, is because this thing is horribly written and the grammar is really unclear, as we'll see even more in, uh, in a second, which shows the amount of thought and the care of thought that was put into it. Um, and then physician scientists and engineers for healthy energy and solutions project. So that's a mouthful, but. Also absent is any mention of the Green New Deal, which is the most important policy advance on green energy of all time. Bear in mind that this work on renewable energy, such as the 100% plans for New York and California, are already well underway. I think they mean already is spelled A-L-L space ready. I think they mean A-L R-E-A-D-Y, well underway, and are being enacted now with solar and wind energy growing exponentially all based up and predicted by science. I think they mean based on and predicted uh, by science. So there's there's something, if you look at this, this is very odd that these thought leaders, including Michael Mann and, and Mark Jacobson, who are probably the two leaders, at least the technical leaders of the modern green energy movement, that this is, that this is what they put out. It's even hard to read. It's got all sorts of uh, errors in it. But the thing I really want to draw your attention to is the focus on they're claiming that like scientific papers have proven it. And then they're also citing the Green New Deal as a marvelous achievement. And if you know anything about the genesis of the Green New Deal, this is something that overwhelmingly comes from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And one of the main things about it is nobody had any clear idea what it meant. And at the beginning, what they very clearly talked about were, you know, uh, cow emissions and banning air travel. And there's also a huge anti-nuclear threat. So the idea that, oh, this is some fantastic proof that you're citing this a hack job like the Green New Deal, I think that should show there's something off with this. But again, the thing I want to keep emphasizing is they're focused on peer-reviewed science and not observable reality. Now, why is that? Well, it's because the these uh, things that are quote, published in peer-reviewed science, like what Mark Jacobson has done, which has just been almost universally refuted by even significant green energy uh, advocates, has nothing to do with reality. And if we look at the reality, it's totally true that green energy is completely dependent on fossil fuels. And to, to grasp this, it's important when we're talking about whether green energy can do what fossil fuels do, You'll hear things like, oh, it's cheaper, or it could do it in this case. But 
what we're really talking about is can green energy do what fossil fuels do in terms of the global energy system? And so the key question is, can they produce all forms of energy reliably at low cost on a scale of billions of people in thousands of places? That's what we've achieved with fossil fuels. So we can produce all forms of energy. So that means not just electricity, but transportation energy, industrial heat, home heat. Those are the four big uses of fossil fuels. So we can do that with very high reliability at low cost for billions of people in thousands of places. So when you're, when you're talking about, hey, can green energy do what fossil fuels do? That's what you need to be comparing. And that's where you need to look, is green energy really, can it really be self-sufficient or is it uh, parasitical? And the truth is solar and wind are nowhere near self-sufficient. So I want to show you, you might have seen this if you've read my book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. If not, uh, you can, well, I'm showing it to you uh, now. But for more of an explanation, you can look at, at chapter two of that book. Now, these data are from 2013, so they're a little different than the current data, but the it's that they're fundamentally of the same kind. So what this is showing uh, is that on the bottom, so this is what it's showing is at the top is the amount of electricity production in Germany. So overall, what's getting produced and which is pretty comparable to what's getting uh, consumed, although it's not exactly the same thing. But essentially, you can think of this as this is how much electricity Germany Germans need at a given point. And then uh, at the bottom, what you see is it's showing how much electricity is being produced by solar, and that's in black, and then how much is uh, produced by wind, and that's in gray. And what you can see is it's incredibly erratic. So sometimes the combination of black and gray, so the combination of solar and wind, it spikes up where it's a decent percentage of the overall electricity demand. And today it's, an even, it's even higher because they've spent even more on this. But crucially, sometimes it goes down to near zero, and this still happens. It often goes below uh, 5%, particularly in winter months. And so what this implies and, and illustrates is that you can't rely on solar and wind for electricity with uh, over any period of time, which means you have to have a 100% backup or a near 100% backup at any given time. And so what that means is that you have to have not only you not when you're factoring in the when you're thinking about the cost of solar and wind, you have to think not only of the cost of the solar panels and the wind turbines and then even the infrastructure costs that are often ignored that are huge like long distance transmission lines, but you also need to factor in the cost of the reliable energy infrastructure that you can't meaningfully displace. So you have to think of it as the cost of what I call unreliable solar and wind is the cost of the unreliable energy infrastructure and the reliable energy infrastructure. And then on top of that, it's even worse than that because you'd think that you save a lot of fuel using these things. But as the movie points out, and none of the critics really uh, are able to refute, you when you're when you have this erratic up and down use of energy, and so you have sometimes 
Sometimes there's more need for fossil fuels. Sometimes there's less, but there's always some need and you always need it as a backup. What happens is you always have the fossil fuel plants on and you're constantly cycling them up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's exactly like driving a car in stop and go traffic. And so when you drive a car in stop and go traffic, your fuel efficiency gets killed. And it's the same thing when you're dealing with these erratic energy sources. The fuel efficiency of the fossil fuels or the nuclear goes way down. So they're not only adding all these infrastructure costs, but they make the fossil fuel use far less uh, efficient. So the, the green energy advocates aren't really addressing this at all. They're claiming peer-reviewed studies, which basically means we wrote a fantasy of what the future could be like, but there's nothing remotely like this right now. There's no self-sufficient solar or wind installation in the world. There's none under development. These are not real things uh, because the actual economics of them don't work on any real scale, let alone a global scale. And remember, the game we're talking about is producing all forms of energy at low cost, reliably for billions of people in thousands of places. And the truth is, and the movie is fundamentally right about this, even though it's using some out-of-date examples, the truth is green energy cannot do this and often just adds uh, duplicativeness uh, to the situation. And here's just an example of Germany, what happens to their electricity costs, which were already higher than the US. Those have doubled since they've been uh, quote-unquote, investing more in solar and wind, and yet they're still using huge amounts of coal and uh, other fossil fuels. Point four that I want to hit that the movie uh, covers. So point three is where you had the most response. Uh, point four is another crucial point, which is that the 100% renewable claims that, hey, Apple's running on 100% re renewable, Lego is, Budweiser is, all of these things, these are energy accounting fraud. And I think the, the movie very clearly makes this point, and it is a very accurate point. Apple claims to be 100% renewable. We never stop thinking about what's best for the planet. We now run Apple on 100% renewable energy. All of our facilities worldwide. And they did chop down a forest to put up solar panels near their North Carolina plant, but they didn't disconnect from the grid, and they can't. Duke says energy-hungry companies like Apple can never go entirely off the grid. They're still hooked up to our grid. Despite all of the claims, I haven't found a single entity anywhere in the world that's running on 100% solar and wind alone. Yeah, and he's definitely not going to find it because there's nothing resembling an economic way to, uh, to do that. And so what's happening is, there, I've elaborated a lot, on this in my own work, but it's just, uh, there's just, what it, what it amounts to is accounting fraud. So what you can do is you can build a bunch of unreliable energy infrastructure yourself. So you can, you can say, produce a lot of wind energy intermittently, but you still need the reliable energy from fossil fuels and nuclear. And so the analogy I've used is, I mean, you can, you can think of this a bunch of different ways, but it's as if I talk about with Apple, as if Tim Cook says, hey, I need to get across the ocean quickly, uh, you know, and, or our, you know, our, um, yeah, I want to get across the ocean uh, quickly. And, you know, I want to take a cruise ship, but I want to get across quickly. Uh, but I want to be, and, and that requires oil because oil is the fuel of mobility. And Al Gore says, no, let's, let's put a sail on top of the cruise ship and that'll provide a small percentage of its energy. And what you'll do is you'll take 
credit for the energy of the sale, and then everyone else gets blamed for the oil. That's essentially how these renewable schemes work. So basically, they just as in this scheme, Tim Cook would pay the other passengers to take credit for the oil or take blame for the oil while he takes credit for the sale, for the wind. That's what's happening on these, these kinds of uh, networks. And so what do the critics have to say in exposing this energy accounting fraud that they are engaged in all the time? Once again, crickets. They have nothing to say about this. And this is an issue I have some particular experience with the green energy movement on because several years ago when I was writing for Forbes, they I had a column on Apple's energy accounting fraud. And then I found that one day, quite uh, a day or two, maybe, maybe in the same day, it was put up and it was very well researched, carefully explained. Uh, the column got taken down. Now, why did it get taken down? Well, I got a hold of some of the behind the scenes emails and I've redacted uh, the names involved, but what this says is Steve Dowling, head of Apple PR. So Steve Dowling reported directly to Tim Cook for years before recently retiring. Um, they first say this contributor, clearly a shill for oil and gas, says without much substantiation that Apple is lying about using 100% renewable. I gave perfect uh, substantiation. And then it says Steve Dowling, head of Apple PR, who rarely complains about the abundant Apple content on the site, is peeved, I think rightly so. Uh, and then I realize this is not a tech contributor, but I don't know who else to ask. Can you have someone address it? And the way they addressed it was taking it down. And then they they eventually put it back up with making a bunch of the language uh, change. But this is a real issue. These companies are lying about what they're doing. They didn't refute a word that I said. They just pretended I didn't have all of the evidence, which I had in the first place. And this is such a big issue because they are lying to the world about what kind of energy the world requires. They're acting like, hey, we are powered on unreliable energy, so you can be too, and they're not actually, and we can't be. So I'm really glad that Planet of the Humans is making this point, and it is a real shame that uh, the green energy activists are not acknowledging this point. So the last point I want to make about something that Planet of the Humans gets right, and this one it gets totally right, though it doesn't cash in on as much as I think could be done, which is just, it just illustrates this. I don't even know if it says this, but that leading green energy advocates are a terrifying combination of ignorant and dishonest. And the way that the example that this comes out on is they're talking a lot in the movie about biomass. So generating electricity in particular, but also fuel from plants and, and often trees. And I don't agree with all of their characterization of biomass, but it, the, the key point is that using trees for electricity has a whole bunch of issues with it, but the benefit, the reason why it is used is because trees are a much more reliable fuel source than the sun or the wind. So when people are trying to meet renewable energy requirements, they often use a lot of trees because trees get qualified under renewable. And so the movie is exposing this. But the most interesting thing to me is what happens when, I think it's Jeff Gibbs, the director of the movie, or at least some interviewer on behalf of the movie, asks the activists about this and what their response is and the level of ignorance. So let's first look at Van Jones, who is a le leading advisor, you know, leading participant in the Obama administration, a guru on green energy. Let's see what he's what comes up when he's asked about the role of uh, 
of biomass, which you would imagine as an energy guru is something he knows a lot about. One of my best, biggest concerns as an environmentalist is that we're starting to burn trees. So there are tree burning power plants. Are you aware of the problems with biomass or biofuels? Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as, as, as uh, aware of that as, as I could be or should be. What the hell does that mean? I'm not as aware of that as I could be or should be. You're trying to control the whole direction of the world. You're trying to outlaw the forms of energy that people choose to use, namely fossil fuels and nuclear. And you're clueless about how quote unquote renewable energy actually works. And even the small percentage of renewable energy that's used in the world uh, has a, a huge portion of that is wood that has all sorts of uh, environmental impacts that either you're not aware of or you don't want to you don't want to talk about. It. It has all sorts of scalability issues in terms of how are you going to really power the whole world on on growing trees. And I think that's pretty clearly not going to work, including, as the movie points out, that growing trees usually depends on uh, fossil fuels. So that's Van Jones. Now, the next guy, and this is uh, close to my heart in a certain way, because this is uh, maybe the most prominent person I've debated, at least uh, tied for most prominent with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is Bill McKibben. Now, Bill McKibben is considered, uh, I remember uh, someone once described him to me as the thinking man's Al Gore. So this is somebody who really purports to be on top of energy and cites Germany all the time. So here's what happens when Bill McKibben is asked about the case of Germany. My biggest concern is that in Germany, for instance, they're moving towards, re towards solar and wind, but 60% of their actual energy is coming from biomass. 60% of what's considered renewable energy. Burning trees for energy? I don't, I don't know the details out of Germany. What, what Germany's really doing is a lot of sun and wind, and that's really powerful to see. But I'd like to see us come out against any burning of trees. All right, well so the filmmaker is pointing out that a huge percentage of their renewable, and I would add most importantly, the reliable portion of their renewable, is coming from biomass. And McKibben is just totally clueless uh, about this. I mean, he just says something about, oh, they're getting it all from solar and wind, which he clearly doesn't know. And this is somebody who is, again, he is trying to change the world based on his alleged understanding of energy. And he, he brings up Germany all the time. So, for example, one of my, my favorite examples of Bill bringing up this issue is this is right after I debated him in November of, uh, of 2012. And he, he was doing an interview and he's talking about, he says, what's going on in Germany is unfucking believable. There were days this month when they got half their energy from solar panels. And so I looked at the data and, and I in fact showed you the data earlier about how in December, uh, there's nothing resembling even half of their electricity, let alone half of their energy. So I thought, what is going on? And then I realized, oh, I think he first started saying this in June. So it was a higher percentage of their electricity then. And then he just assumed that what happened in June was the same in December in Germany with solar. Like it was on that level. And then at the same time, he equated what happened at the highest spike on one day with their electricity in general. And then he equated their electricity in general with all of their energy use, including tr uh, transportation fuel. So that's how he was able to say in December of 2012, they're getting half their energy from solar panels. He's just completely clueless. And yet these are people who are trying to control the world. So what was the reaction from our letter of thought leaders? 
once again, crickets. They don't have anything really to say about the fact that some of their most prominent people are ignorant and dishonest about these issues. And this is so important that the people calling for outlawing fossil fuels and nuclear, for that matter, they have no idea what they're talking about, and they don't care that they have no idea what they're talking about. And I believe that's because they, you could say, well, it's because they care about climate change uh, so much, but you can't say, well, I'm against a drug, uh, like I'm, I'm against antibiotics and I just care about the side effects of antibiotics so much. And, and I'm completely ignorant about the benefits. Like if you're if you're going against antibiotics, then you better know the benefits when you're talking about the side effects. So there's something just deeply irresponsible about these people. So those are the the five things that Planet of the Humans gets mostly right. And I think these are very important issues. And the green activists countering this, they haven't really grappled with any of these issues. And so I'm really glad that this movie is showing these issues and, and exposing a lot of people to them. But as I said earlier, this movie is way wrong in terms of its overall thrust. And so next week, what I want to talk about is the five things Planet of the Humans gets totally wrong. But just to give you at least a little indication of what's going on here, I want to point you to two, uh, two truths that the movie totally does not acknowledge and shows there's something deeply, deeply wrong about this movie. So these are two observations. So the first is there's no mention whatsoever of the dramatic increase in the livability of the planet due to fossil fuels uh, driving the transformation of the planet. So I'm showing here a graph that shows in the last 2000 years, essentially, you have CO2 emissions from human beings being flat and going way up like a hockey stick. But at the same time, you have life expectancy being flat at under 30 and then going up like a hockey stick. And then GDP per person income, that's flat and that goes up like a hockey stick. And then population, the number of people the earth can hold, that's flat and that goes up like a hockey stick. And in fact, the movie acknowledges this slightly, but it talks about it in terms of population and GDP. And it says, hey, we've got 10 times more people on the planet and we are consuming 10 times more stuff. And he says, that's terrifying. And my perspective is that's a really weird thing to say because that's directly tied to people not only having way longer lives, but having way more opportunity-filled lives. So how is it that you can look at us and say, oh, we're having more impact on the planet and ignore the fact that that's more than doubled our lifespans and dramatically increased increase the amount of opportunity that we have to live a good and fulfilling life? So more on that next week, but there's something really off. And the the just as a little preview, the thing that's off is what I call the perfect planet premise, the view that the planet absent human impact is perfect and that all human beings can do is ruin it. I believe, no, the planet is very imperfect. It's naturally dangerous. It's naturally deficient. It doesn't nourish us or give us all the opportunities we want and need. And so we need to dramatically transform it and low cost energy from fossil fuels is crucial to transforming it. So that's point one that the movie's just totally off on and, and missing. The other point, which some people have pointed out, is there's no consideration whatsoever of nuclear energy. I think I saw one passing mention of nuclear. It had to be less than five seconds, maybe even less than three seconds. And why is this a problem? Well, the whole idea is that 
we can't of the movie is we can't have industrial civilization like green energy can't sustain industrial civilization like it's it's inevitable that we're going to quote destroy the planet through rising co2 levels and i want to talk about next week what's the evidence that we're actually destroying the planet with rising co2 levels i think we're impacting the planet but that's very different from uh, destroying the planet but in any case, the whole movie evades the fact that there's a form of energy that right now can't do everything fossil fuels can do, but it can do a lot, particularly in terms of producing energy, at electricity rather, at fairly low cost. And there's no real obstacle to it scaling to billions of people around the world. So it's not a replacement in the near term for everything. It'll take a while to build out even for electricity but it's certainly incredibly potent, much more potent than unreliable solar and wind. And yet this is totally ignored, even though it has very little in the way of CO2 emissions and very little in the way of other pollution and is extremely, extremely safe. So more next week about nuclear, but there is this huge evasion that this technology actually exists. And one more aspect of it is because nuclear is based on a very concentrated form of energy, it's particularly good in terms of it. it uh, anyone who's concerned about wildlife, nature, you know, destroying particularly beautiful parts of the world because nuclear is so concentrated, uh, you don't need to do that kind of thing with nuclear versus if you're trying to live off wood, you kind of got to cut everything down, which is why Europe cut down so many of their forests as they were attempting to industrialize. And then finding coal was, was super helpful because that's in effect a concentrated underground forest, but that's digging for coal is totally different than chopping down your trees. So we've got this dense form of energy that's clean, that has all this potential. And yet this movie is saying this doesn't exist. It doesn't engage it at all. And I think part of the reason it doesn't talk about this is because the mainstream environmental movement is anti-nuclear, which is its own, which is uh, an issue unto itself as why is that? So those are things I'll be talking about next week, but I just wanted to give you a preview of there are some very wrong things with this uh, movie. Okay, uh, wrapping up the episode. Uh, thanks for watching or listening, everyone. If you're new to the show, uh, welcome. So this is Power Hour. I do this every week. If you are interested in getting uh, notified about future episodes and learning more about my work, I'd encourage you to go to industrialprogress.com. That's, that's the website of my company, the Center for Industrial Progress. And you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter and get all of the information there. You can also get my book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, at Amazon. And if you're interested in any kind of speaking or media, contact us at industrialprogress.com slash speaking. Finally, if you have, uh, I'll say this every week, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail you want to send to me personally, just email me at alex at alexepstein.com. And if you like our work and want to support it, go to industrialprogress.com slash accelerate. That's industrialprogress.com slash accelerate. All right, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be back next week with the five things Planet of the Humans gets totally wrong. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.